Hello and welcome to Kyle's Internal Monologue. Uh, this episode we're covering the Babylon 5 Season 1 episode Survivors, which is episode 11, the very first season. Uh, we're getting incredibly close to some very important episodes, specifically episode 13, Signs Importance. Uh, that is very big and very important, and I can't wait to talk about that in two weeks' time. But for now, we're doing Survivors, which is within of itself a pretty good episode. Uh, it's got it's got some issues here and there, uh, but for the most part, it's pretty good, and it sets up some uh, some important stuff to come later in the season, as well as the rest of the series. Um, first, I want to mention that it was written by Mark Scott Zacree, who. You may not know his name, but you've at least seen his work everywhere. Like, he's a very vocal science fiction fan and writer. Um, and he, he, he recently crowdfunded, like, this big science fiction uh, TV project he wants to do called Space Command, uh, in which, he, which crowdfunding allowed him, uh, allowed him the uh, independence to do what he wanted. Uh, which is a restriction that uh, he, he wasn't allowed to do everything he wanted to do in certain aspects of science fiction television. So many times he was restricted on what he wanted to do and, uh, and he couldn't cast the actors he wanted. So if you look at the Space Command, at least the bits that are released to the public that aren't uh, crowdfunding backers, um, he's got all the classic actors. He's a Bruce Boxleitner, uh, is in it. Uh, a very Star Trek, uh, uh, Star Trek alum as well as Babylon Five alum, Mira Furlan, Delenn. Uh, so you're gonna, it's sort of a love letter to mid '90s science fiction television, uh, and it's gonna be interesting to see what he does there. But he's also well known for, uh, at least he got story credit on a couple of really good Star Trek episodes. Um, of course, in, in Star Trek terms, the way they do things is that if they get a spec script, which the first episode he read was a spec script, uh, they will give you story credit, but they will the staff writers will rewrite it. Uh, that was very common. Uh, and occasionally writing a spec script would lead to a job on the staff writing for, uh, for Star Trek, but, uh, but once they had a core writing staff, they, they really didn't diverge. <laughs> But uh, Mark Scott Zacree wrote the episode of TNG called First Contact, not to be confused with the movie First Star Trek First Contact. It is about this race that uh, is just just starting to develop warp tech, and uh, the the Federation has has interest in making sure that they succeed in doing it, and uh, and in Riker goes undercover by being genetically altered. He has, his face uh, and everything looks like the alien race and then they he gets injured and then they find out that he is not of the race that he is a different he's a different race he's this time instead of the enterprise going and discovering new aliens the aliens discovered them that's it's supposed to be the inverse and it's actually a really good episode uh, and then, of course, he wrote one of the best episodes of Deep Space Nine, Far Beyond the Stars, where, or he, at least he got story credit again. This, he, he was severely rewritten by Iris Stephen Bear. But the idea behind that episode was that uh, Cisco has an orb experience um, after some serious self-doubt uh, about about the, the, the current state of the war with the Dominion and the current state of him as the emissary. 
and the the prophet sends him the orb and he and he experiences the life of another man in the 1950s specifically a african-american man trying to write science fiction and he have in that this man ends up writing uh, uh writing the the premise of deep space nine and the the idea was to explore racism not only in the 1950s but uh, and america at large but also to address some of the issues with our favorite genre science fiction was notorious for while being accepting was also uh horribly sexist in certain ways uh, and then, uh, not just sexist but ra uh, but racist as well uh just horribly problematic in certain areas such as i brought it up a few a uh, few episodes ago with dc fontana she was forced to change her name from dorothy fontana to dc fontana to disguise the fact that she was a woman because it was believed women can't write science fiction uh once again the 50s was not a great time for anybody that wasn't a straight white man uh but that is life and it's sad but it is true uh and that that episode uh, digs deep into that it's really good but that's star trek but he's he's really well regarded in that sense and he's friends with ronald d moore who's uh one of the lead writers on ds9 and of course went on to reboot battlestar galactica in a fantastic way so very interesting man but this episode in particular um it's it digs into Garibaldi as a character, and I really like that. Though there are some issues leading on, leading on from this, um, I think the most obvious is the main one of the main guest stars of this of this episode is called Leanna Kemmer, Major Leanna Kemmer. She's the head of presidential security, uh, and she shows up to Babylon Five early, uh, ahead of. President Luis Santiago, because Luis Santiago is there to uh, to Babylon Five to present a new fighter wing, some new Star Furies, uh, which is two years late. They mentioned, by the way, uh, it's very important that that Babylon Five is sort of not well regarded in Earth terms. But he, he Luis Santiago, also has this sort of separate agenda of promoting his new uh, I, uh, new legislation, which is about. Uh, Signing, uh, signing, uh, immigration pacts with uh, various alien races and trade agreements as well, which certain people in Earth Force don't agree with. Now, Leanna Kimmer is introduced to be an important character, the Garibaldi. That she was, that he was friends with her father, and because of his own issues, when he was uh, stationed in Europa, and he uh, he was trying to establish law and order in a place that was completely lawless it the stress got to him and he became he started drinking and that's when he found out he was an alcoholic and he was friends with Leanna's uh, father that he helped him recover and then uh, her father ends up getting killed as because of uh, his recklessness uh, for because of Garibaldi's recklessness, and that results in her blaming him for uh, her father's death. And they reconcile to the end of the episode. The problem is that she'll never appear ever again, nor is she ever mentioned again. Uh, so that's a bit of an issue, um, especially because Babylon 5 was so good about reoccurring characters and setting in plots and whatnot, especially because she's the head of presidential security. And I'll get into that in spoilers, but you would think she would be important to what's uh, what's going to happen in the future. 
with Santiago and everything, which I'll get into once I said, again, as I said in the spoiler section. But she does appear again in a uh, comic, which are the comics and novels of Babylon 5 are considered canon purely because JMS either wrote them himself or he gave outlines to writers to then write from. And they are all considered part of the canon of the, the of Babylon 5. So unlike Star Wars or Star Trek, where you go and you pick up a novel and you know it's not canon, that it's, it's another writer's idea of what this world is like, all ancillary material like that is canon to the TV show, which is actually pretty cool. Um, it's one of the rare things uh, that Babylon 5 is so good at. You know, you, Babylon 5, those rare things in television where it's hard to get right and whatnot, Babylon 5 excels at, which is like making everything canon. Um, so it really sucks that she'll never show up again because I think there could have been an interesting relationship built from that. Uh, and I, I think it was a missed opportunity. Uh, but I'll get more into that in the spoiler section. There's also an issue with uh, with the way Garibaldi magically recovers at the end. Like, there, there's a great scene where uh, he's in the Happy Days bar, which is nice reference. It's, it's spelled D-A-Z-E instead of D-A-Y-S, but it's a nice reference to the old show um, that basically... Uh, he's hiding from the uh, from security personnel, and uh, this alien offers him a drink, and the tense music starts. And the guy in the security answers can't find him, exits, but the tense music continues to play as he stares down at the bottle. And it's a beautiful moment, and we see him relapse. He starts drinking, uh, and later on, he he gets back to his senses and then s starts dealing with the issue at hand the problem is is that he uh, he's pretty much back on the wagon just after he uh, got off the wagon and it's i think it's ineffectual i think we should have had fallout from the fact that he relapsed and started drinking again because here's the thing with about, about being an alcoholic i'm not an alcoholic but my family my family has a history of alcoholism which is why i've never taken a drink in my life because i won't ri ever risk that chance so the idea that one drink, uh, th there's no such thing as just one drink, that any drink, any temptation can lead to you falling off the wagon and can have serious repercussions. But Garibaldi immediately fixes the issue, and I think that is a flaw, because we should be seeing the fallout of, of him taking a drink again. Um, though, we will address his alcoholism later in this series, and he will actually go heavy on the drinking again and have to get and have to struggle to get back on the wagon uh, later in the series. So we do address it later, and I think JMS is a far better writer than Mark Scott agree. So I think it's to the betterment that JMS handled that arc. Uh, but uh, I think it I think it should have started here, or we should have had something. I think him just immediately realizing his mistake and going back to usual Garibaldi was a problem. Um, now, while I'm on this topic of alcoholism, I do want to address the elephant in the room when it regards to Garibaldi uh, and the actor who plays him, Jerry Doyle. Jerry Doyle, so Jerry Doyle was an alcoholic. This is a well-known fact, and he sadly passed away 
due to over drinking uh, in 2016. Uh, he had issues and everybody knew it too. And JMS, as I mentioned later in the season, in the series where we'll be addressing Garibaldi's alcoholism, it was intended to talk to Jerry Doyle because Jerry Doyle refused to listen to any advice or help that JMS gave him uh, or anybody gave him. The The idea was to tell a story with Garibaldi going down the, uh, go, go, relapsing in his alcoholism, going down a bad road, and hopefully that would get to Jerry. Sadly, it never did. And as I said, he passed away uh, in 2016 due to over-drinking, and it, it's really sad to see that happen. Um, but you can also feel that that his betrayal of the alcoholism is real, that he understands exactly what that mentality is like, because he does. And it's sadly both a strength and a weakness that his performance as Garibaldi the drunk, Garibaldi the alcoholic, is incredibly realistic and incredibly tragic, but at the same time, he was experiencing the same stuff, and he was never able to be saved. Um, this is uh, th this episode also has some really interesting uh, stuff in it in regards to uh, setups and whatnot. Uh, I mean, in callbacks as well, like that scene between Londo and Garibaldi. Fantastic scene, by the way, where Londo compares himself to uh, Garibaldi and says, uh, you know, we're very much alike in many ways. And it's true. Londo is older, wiser, but he has been stuck in this situation for years and he's given up he's given up on life he's resigned himself to living out this meager existence that he has gotten and he doesn't enjoy it garibaldi is now in a situation where he's stuck and he but he's continuing to fight the good fight and londo wishes he could be like that and i and i like that scene but it also features a callback to Midnight on the Firing Line. Once again, nice continuity. Then later in the episode, when we find out that the Home Guard is responsible for the bombing, uh, the, the the bombing that ended up happening was is that uh, it's a nice callback to the War Prayer, which is a uh, uh, which is uh, which, which will technically be a continuing plot thread for a while. It's not really spoilers because I mentioned that in the War Prayer that that Earth is not perfect and that it has issues and the home guard is just one of the many issues back on earth um there's also uh the mention about how the dock workers are are overworked understaffed underpaid that kind of thing um and that uh the star theories are too uh, uh, babylon 5 uh, began operation two years ago and they're just now getting new star theories uh, and uh, they were stocked with incredibly old Star Furies that were, you know, outdated and uh, had no real use anymore. Showing the clear lack of interest by, by EarthGov, and the dock worker thing will come back next episode. I do, I'm not going to put that in the spoiler section purely because it is literally the next episode. We will be dealing with the fallout of the idea that uh, the dark workers are overworked and underpaid next episode. So, um, I, I think that was really good to set that up now. Um, so, a uh, couple more interesting scenes uh, before I get into spoilers. The scene between uh, Garibaldi and Jakar after his scene with Londo is really good because Londo blames Jakar. 
understandably so considering everything that's been going on. Jakar, in quite a twist for what his character's usual modus operandi is, he does not blame Londo. Instead, he disagrees with Londo and explains to Garibaldi the situation, but then offers a helping hand to Garibaldi uh, that I can smuggle you back to Norm, but you would have to live out your existence helping us because I have immense respect for you, which he does. And we'll see that especially later on in the series. Uh, and Garibaldi understandably refuses, uh, but and then Jakar refuses to help him anymore. The The idea is, is that uh, the, the comparing of Londo and Jakar, Londo is willing to help Garibaldi because he's his friend, but at the same time is not willing to accept the repercussions for helping him. So as he says, you know, good good luck, you're going to need it, but if, if, if you're caught, they're going to ask me if I talk to you and I will deny ever meeting you. Uh, and then Jakar is only willing to offer a helping hand to Garibaldi in exchange for something else, quid pro quo, and that is to get the resources of an incredibly intelligent, smart detective who's also an incredibly good security chief. Um, so that, that it was an interesting kind of twist in examining how Jakar and Londo are very similar. At the same time, there's also a great line in that where Jakar, when he, when when Garibaldi asks why him, Jakar mentions there are three elements uh, that that uh, that, uh, that that create the universe: energy, matter, and enlightened self-interest. Uh, which, of course, is uh, very 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 wise of Jakar because not only is it a funny line, but also. While technically the 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 scientific level of the universe obviously is not true on a metaphorical level, ultimately humans and other aliens will be and can be selfish. Uh, it's a sad part of our reality that some people are more selfless than others, but more often than not, people think about themselves when they think of other people. Um, the uh, there are two, there's a first appearance and a last appearance in this episode, which is interesting, is with two different characters. So Negrath, uh, Garibaldi goes to him, which of course he does, because Garibaldi's the security chief, he knows everything about the station, and he can't pin anything on Negrath, so he goes to him, and of course there's that line, uh, it, it's, it's a bit cliched, everybody knows the joke, of, uh, I'm a legitimate businessman, and, uh, you know, uh, Negrath goes, I do legitimate business, because he's a mob boss, and that's the joke. Um, it's a bit on the nose, but uh, Garibaldi being the security chief, he knows the station in and out, which is why he's able to keep ahead of everyone, uh, and why he's never caught. Uh, uh, and and him, him going to Negrath makes sense, because he couldn't pin anything on him, but he knows who he is. And he knows what he, what he's capable of doing, uh, and Negrath even turns him down in the idea that you're still you're still police that you still are, you, you still believe yourself to be security chief even though you're all, you're wanted, so you're going to use this against me. So it just turns him down. This is the last appearance of Negrath. He's going to be mentioned twice, uh, once in a the TV movie Third Space, and then once again in a season five episode. Um, basically, he was taken out, uh, basically. Like, I don't really count as a spoiler, because it's not really a massive plot point or anything. 
Uh, but Nagrath used to be the head mod boss on B5, and then a, one of his competitors t it took him out, and the, they created a power vacuum. Very simple, simplistic criminal uh, criminal behavior and criminal story uh, crime storytelling, uh, but effective nonetheless. Uh, the first, the, this is also the first appearance of Officer Lou Welch, who is a recurring character for seasons one and season two. And he's important to Garibaldi's storyline going forward, um, and he's got he's got some really good stuff uh, in regards to beginning, especially beginning of season two. But I'm not going to get into that because of spoilers. Um, there's there's an interesting idea that uh, Luis Santiago got got elected. It, we we find out in Midnight and Firing Line that his campaign platform was. Uh, preservation of Earth cultures in a more dominating uh, alien pre presence uh, on on uh, Earth culture, basically. That is the complete reverse of what he's campaigning for now, which is uh, alien immigration and trade agreements. As common in politics, the platforms politicians run on are usually never followed through on because they say things, it's all PR. They say things to get people to vote for them, and then they just don't care anymore. Then they go in and then they do something else, uh, you, you know, um, uh, whether that's for the party line or against the party line, or if it's something that they said they wouldn't do or it's something they said they would do. Uh, inevitably, what their their campaign platform is and what they do as president is very different, at least here in the United States. So, uh, I, I see that as that's what that's supposed to be. And uh, uh, so there's a couple of gripes I have with it, uh, with with this story beyond the the, the, the actual story points is more of technical stuff or just a questioning thing. So when when uh, when, when Garibaldi goes to visit Londo, we see the uh, these people betting that they're at this table and they're betting on these holographic knights dueling each other, basically. Interesting idea. However, it feels a bit too much like Star Wars, in a way. Uh, and also, how does it, like, you know, is it like holograms fighting each other and, or in like it's completely random, or is it like a video of an actual gladiatorial thing? Never really explained, and plus, that these the, while holographic technology exists in Babylon 5, it's used sparingly mainly because they had a limited uh, special effects budget, and also that, uh, uh, that, that it never shows up again, so it's not a big thing. It's just it's something I question. And while Babylon 5 is really good about making it feel like a lived uh, universe, like a lived and breathed in universe, that it every that we don't try and explain everything to the audience, that this is just how it works at the end. We're not going to try and explain it to you because the characters know how it works. So therefore, why would they be questioning it? Um, I th that 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 scene to me anyway because it fo it's focused on so long by the camera. I begin to question it. I think if it was just quick, like focus for a brief second and then move away, it would have been better. Because uh, it just would have been an aspect of the world. But because it dwelled on it so long, I think purely because of the reminiscence to Star Wars. Uh, that 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 then causes me to question, how does it work? 
the other thing is is that once again this is early Babylon 5 they they were just starting to figure out how the, uh, certain things work and Babylon 5 was one of the first shows to start using CGI uh, enhancements to the sets so they so it would be enlarged or, or, or look different uh, with, with, with CGI being added in post-production this results in a weird issue where near the beginning uh, where Garibaldi and Ivanova are on the tram going from one section of B5 to another uh, the Garibaldi's uniform which is gray because the security uniforms are different from everybody else's uniforms uh, it's fine but Ivanova's the standard blue uniform now appears greenish as a result of the uh, backlight, backlight of the uh, green screen that's directly behind them and that will be a recurring issue you'll see that a lot uh throughout early b5 they get better at it and of course rotoscoping uh was not to the effect that it is nowadays to the the precise level so even later seasons will like you'll see like an occasional green outline of someone when they're next to a green screen because it's a cgi enhancement and you can tell once again early 90s Babylon 5 was also writing the rule book on how to use CGI in a TV show on a TV budget and use in doing set extensions. So like that that was brand new. That was a and it was difficult for them to do, but it eventually led to a lot of the the current production techniques used in TV today. Now I'm going to really quickly get into spoilers. I don't have a whole lot this week. I just want to mention that of course uh, we found out that Home Guard was trying to assassinate Luis Santiago, and we know that uh, from the War Prayer that Luis that that uh, the Home Guard has uh, connections in, uh, like people and uh, friends in high places connections. They got experimental EarthGov tech, the stealth suits. Clearly, they have someone on their side. That of course probably is Clark. It's never explicitly stated, but Clark forms the Ministry of Peace. Uh, which which the Home Guard is a part of, so it's implied that it is Clark. So not no real surprise, especially because he wanted to assassinate him, and later on he would be assassinated through other means. Um, Liana, she is never seen again, as I mentioned. JMS in the uh, in the uh, in the old website where people would ask him questions. Uh, about Babylon 5, he mentioned that Liana was not on Earth Force 1 when it exploded near Io Station, uh, thus uh, thus killing President Santiago. But she's never shown up again, nor is she ever mentioned again, and outside of the comic in which she features in flashbacks, we never, ever, ever, ever see her again. So there's... She's alive, but she's not. She may as well have just died on Earth Force One, which especially considering she's the head of presidential security, it would make sense if she was killed on Earth Force One. And I think we could have done something with Garibaldi in that regards where he actually uh, feels bad for her death uh, and, and is struggling with that, much like he does with Elise Hampton, where he, he in, in the episode coming up called The Voice of Wild uh, Voices of the Wilderness, where he believes she's dead during the, the, the Mars Rebellion, and then, uh, he, uh, he finds out she's alive, but she's then abandoned him for someone else, and it, it, it's a, it's a nice, it would have been a nice thing to do, I think, but 
this is early Babylon 5. It's really struggling to not only find its footing and how to tell its story, but also how to literally how to tell serialized television because serialized stories are very uncommon in television, especially in American television. So this is really laying the groundwork for the future of television and it's struggling as a result to really do that. When Luis Santago comes here, he's he's installing Zeta, he's, he's installing a new, a new set of uh, star theories, uh, basically christening them. Uh, this is this would become known as Zeta Wing. In Zeta Wing, there's a character, sadly, not a character that is well regarded or interesting at all, and he was forced on on GMS by the studio, uh, by the name of Warren Keffer. He will be introduced in the beginning of season two, and he'll die in season two. Um, and he doesn't. He's not all that interesting. He's basically a cardboard box, cardboard cutout of a character. But Jameis had no interest in the character. He, as I said, he was forced upon Jameis uh, as a result of studio interference. So there was nothing interesting that Jameis wanted for this character. So he'll die. He'll die very quickly, and at least he, his death becomes a plot point. But. Uh, uh, Zeta Wing is introduced here, so that's very interesting. But th thank you for joining me, and I'll see you next week for By Any Means Necessary. Bye. <laughs>